0: This is The Drive Podcast with Josh Graham. Welcome to the internet, my friend. How can I help you? Check out The Drive weekday afternoons at 3 on WSJS Sports.
1: It is a Tuesday Drive. WSJS News Talk Sports for the Triad. We're due to wake Duke in Winston-Salem tonight, and a strange 6.30 tip-off time, our show's going to be shortened 30 minutes today. And with a game that has a strange tip-off time, it's only fitting that, well, strange things happen. And they've already happened today. Derek Lively, Derek Whitehead, two key Duke freshmen, both ruled out tonight due to illness that has gone through the team in the last week or so. John Shire was talking about that yesterday and said he imagines most teams across the country have been dealing with it, but Duke's had some illness creep into its program, and it's going to cost them two players in their rotation tonight. And even though students are out of town for Christmas break, which should take a lot of the teeth out of the Joel atmosphere tonight, it's not going to be so hostile against Duke. White Forest is still catching the Blue Devils at a really good time, and I'm actually calling for the upset here. Regardless of who's in the stands, the fact remains, tonight is the first true road game for now three of Duke's freshmen. Would have been five if Whitehead and Lively were out there, but this is the first time for Kyle Filipowski in this spot or Mark Mitchell in this spot. First time that they're dealing with this, or Tyrese Proctor, who's going to be manning the point. It will probably feel like a Duke home game in the stands, just like it kind of felt like a neutral site game a week ago with App State in Winston-Salem, but I feel like we give the home crowd a little bit too much credit. Anytime coaches are talking about home field advantage in football or in basketball, What they feel they get from the crowd is an advantage in officiating. It's not really the big issue of communication, which in football does have some limitations when you talk about ruckus environments. But no, officiating is the biggest advantage you get with home court or home field, having a lot of your supporters in the stands versus the other side. But it's not the only advantage you get. That's what most people focus on. But if you drill deeper into it, in basketball specifically, it's getting to shoot on your home rims and with your home sight lines. And for many of these Duke players, they've never been in the Lawrence Joel Veterans Memorial Coliseum before. So it's new for them, and it's going to take some adjusting to that. Given how young Duke is, Wake has a better shot at knocking them off now than any other point during the year. And the Whitehead and Lively News, that's just a cherry on top. We haven't seen the Blue Devils in a long time. It's been 10 days since their last game. Two weeks for Jeremy Roach, who missed the University of Maryland Eastern Shore game due to a toe injury. He's going to play tonight, but the last time we saw him, it was Madison Square Garden where he had 20-plus against Iowa. Wake, meanwhile, has played twice in the last six days. They're coming off a loss. You know they're going to be motivated and ready to go tonight. Here was John Shire about playing with this long layoff tonight?
0: For us, it's a good chance to evaluate where we are as a team. And, you know, you're playing one game in a 20-day stretch, really, when you add in, you know, the break we have after this. So, for us, just having, you know, really laser-focused these last couple of days and getting better, improving, really, on both ends of the ball. We need to improve a lot. But then also, uh, play our second conference game, first-row game against a team you know who's really good, and they're going to be hungry uh, coming off of a loss uh, this past Saturday.
1: Getting to the basketball matchup, you might be thinking, Josh, this is a lot of you're talking about circumstance and where the game's playing. In the end, it's about the Jimmys and the Joes. Give me a basketball reason why Wake Forest can hang with Duke. Well, here it is. The Deeks are actually bigger than Duke is. The only time Dukes dealt with that this year was their worst loss of the season against 7'4", Zach, Edie, and Purdue in that Thanksgiving tournament in Portland they played. The way that Duke's been winning is by pushing people around and playing bully ball. It didn't work against Purdue. I don't think it's going to work against Wake tonight, especially with Whitehead and Lively being out. Two guys that are over 6'5", and in Lively's case, over... Six foot nine. When you look at these two lineups side by side, Wake Forest is gonna have seven players available tonight that are six, five or taller. Rotation guys who have average at least ten minutes a game. And Duke's gonna have five. Wake Forest is gonna have five that are at least six foot nine. Duke's gonna have two. So I do see a good matchup and a good opportunity for Wake tonight. I'm calling for the upset. Wake's catching Duke at a good time. I think they win the night at the Joel. On Twitter, at WSJS Radio if you want in. 336-777-1600 is the phone number. Will Dalton's going to be with me at this game tonight. Exciting to see what happens. 6.30 right here on WSJS. You can listen to it. WD, getting to the Carolina Panthers now. I am usually a half glass half full type of guy. Not when it comes to the Panthers' playoff chances. What's the percentage chance Carolina has of making the playoffs according to some random ESPN percentage number?
2: I think that glass would be about 24%. 24% full,
1: full based yeah. on math. <laughs> Maybe it's the holiday season or just the optimism in me. I tend to be a glass half full guy and when it comes to the Panthers, perhaps At times, that can permeate into my opinions here. Which is why, and stick with me here, Panther fans, you should be viewing the remainder of this season as a win-win proposition. You can't lose. And WD, you were once the guy saying, oh, I don't want the Panthers winning these games because I want to make sure we get a high draft pick. I'd be interested to know which camp you fall into, whether it's the Carolina, if they win out camp, Winning the NFC South, hosting a playoff game, ending a five year playoff drought, which, by the way, would be a huge, tremendous, whatever adjective you care to use, building block for Steve Wilkes, who, in all likelihood, almost certainly would get the job in that circumstance if he is seven and five as a coach of leading the Panthers to the playoffs. That's one scenario. Or if Carolina doesn't win the South, you still likely get a top 10 pick. Right now, Chicago would be picking second to the Houston Texans. They're not going to be picking a quarterback next year. They're just going to be looking for a ton of parts. You wouldn't have to trade you'd think three first round picks to get to number 2. Like say San Francisco did in 2021 to get Trey Lance because you're be, you're going to be picking in the top 10. If you don't make the if you do make the playoffs, at best you could be picking 19th in the draft which is a little bit too far to get into the top two or get into the top three and get either Stroud or Bryce Young they need the quarterback regardless of what happens the rest of the way here which of those two do you find yourself rooting for
2: it's such a quarterback driven league as much as it would be cool to see the Panthers make the playoffs and I still think there's a tiny chance they could uh,
1: about a 24 percent 24
2: percent chance it's about a quarter you know Almost 25.
1: Let me check your math on that. But, but that checks out. It is almost
2: a quarter. <laughs> uh, okay, just need to make be sure about that. Uh, but the quarterback is so important. Like they they got to get hold
1: that. one sec. So you'd prefer to pick in the top ten over winning the NFC South?
2: I'm afraid so, because looking at the long haul, the bigger picture, quarterback's more important. I mean, how far are they gonna? If they make the playoffs. How far are they gonna go?
1: They can win one game. Right, like. My only hope is that Steve Wilkes gets the job. That's what's most important to me. Either of those things, if they happen, I'm not going to pick which one I want to happen because, again, it's a win-win regardless of which of the two happens. They're not going to win three straight, by the way. So I got a feeling I know which one's going to happen here. But the hope is Steve Wilkes gets the job. I almost feel like it's NCAA tournament time and I'm looking at resumes going into the ACC tournament. How many wins do you need in order to get in? Oh, well, I think you need to win one for sure. You can't go for, you can't just go one and done. Two would for sure lock it up for you. That's how I feel about Wilkes. If you win one, you give yourself a shot, but it wouldn't be surprising if you don't end up getting the job. If you win two, yeah, six and six after starting one and five. That would be an incredible job done
3: by Wilkes.
2: It's the drive with Josh Graham.
1: W-S-J-S
3: Drake got offered a lot of money to, to go to different schools. and it's, it's tampering. It's 100% tampering, but he got offered the money. He decided to stay.
1: The more I've covered not just college sports, but pro sports, the more I've learned of a coaching code that's out there. And the code usually consists of Coaches do not criticize other coaches. Coaches don't step on other coaches' feet. There is an etiquette. There's a protocol that you need to follow. And it seems in recent years in college football, that has gone by the wayside. And the root of Mac Brown's issues, and you heard some of them there talking about the tampering with Drake May. The root of Max' issues in the sport seems to be more about the coaches than what the players decide to do. The players being empowered to do a ton of things. He says that two top programs tampered with Drake May, trying to convince him to enter the portal and transfer to their school in exchange for a lot of money. He wouldn't name them,
3: though. I can't say that, and, and don't ask Drake he's a young guy and it's uncomfortable for him um uh, you know who they are just look look at all the ones that are getting the top recruits they're the ones paying all the top money so just you you can figure that out take two of those 10 and and you're right you got it could and and probably more than the two that I know of
1: two that I know of okay so let's go to the recruiting rankings two of the top 10 he says huh Alabama, 1, Georgia, 2, Miami, 3, Texas, 4, LSU, 5, Notre Dame, 6, Ohio State, 7, Oklahoma, 8, Tennessee, 9, Clemson, 10. It's not Clemson. Clemson has their quarterback. Dabo's not trying to pull Drake May away from Chapel Hill. It's not Miami. Tyler Van Dyke. Still around. He's coming back for another year. He was banged up throughout this season. He still, I think, has two more years left if he wants it. Two or three more years. Texas, not them. They've got Quinn Ewers back, who's going to be a Heisman candidate. They have Arch Manning in this year's class. So it's not them. LSU, they've got a really good quarterback in Jaden Daniels that's returning as well. So it's not the Tigers looking for a one-year Drake May rental. Ohio State, maybe... Maybe it's them, but they're 7th in the recruiting rankings? Is that really the team that's going after Drake May, trying to pull him out of Chapel Hill? Tennessee 9? They've got uh, Milton back at quarterback. They have a top-five quarterback in this year's class. Doubt it's them. And again, it's not Clemson. So that leaves two teams. And it's the two teams that Mac might have been alluding to, saying, look at the top of the recruiting rankings. Alabama number one. Georgia number two. They're both looking to replace a quarterback this offseason. And most obviously, Drake was once committed to Alabama. So there is a tie there. And Georgia makes sense still regionally. Those are the two programs that, if I had to guess, based on process of elimination here, are the ones trying to pull at it. Now, Mac is smart. Someone pointed out, if you want to shame those schools to stop them from doing that, why don't you name them? Just name them publicly. He goes, I'd love to do that. It's a great question. But all of this is done without a paper trail by agents. So an agent would contact Drake May's agent because that's allowed now. And if you you name the school, they're just going to deny it and say that that never happened. I still think he should do it because I like things getting messy and all. And then there's this thing on the internet that I've seen. The reaction from folks is, oh, Mac, you are naive. You should know better. This is how the game's played now. You know, how you bring players is by trying to pay them. You have to buy players in order to bring them in now. I don't think that's what Mac's talking about. I think he understands that with collectives, that's now the new normal. You pay guys to try to get them to transfer to your school. What Mac's talking about is a violation of the code. Because no agent is going to reach out to a player who's not in the portal to try and get them to go to the portal and go to their school unless they know that a roster spot is available. And how would they know that without having contact with a coach? Of course they wouldn't know that. So of course coaches would be involved if a player's being offered. It's a totally different thing offering players who are not in the portal to try and get them in the portal versus trying to offer money to guys who already have decided they don't want to return to school or they're interested in going somewhere else. That's what Mac has issue with. He didn't like the way Phil Longo's exit went down. Phil Longo, OC, left to go to Wisconsin. Let's just start with Mac speaking generally before we drill deeper. Here he was speaking generally about the etiquette of assistants being hired
3: away. Coaches aren't even calling asking for permission anymore. Uh, which was really important in in integrity Uh, when I was growing up in this business for years. I still do it, Uh, but coaches are walking in and saying, I'm I'm leaving and going to another job on the spot, and uh, you're sitting there saying, what do I do this afternoon Uh, without any time to prepare? So uh, I'd like to see it where we go back and do things right with integrity and call and ask permission to talk to a, a coach.
1: That's what he wants to see done. Now here he was when asked when he learned Phil Longo would be exiting.
3: I think he called me Tuesday night leaving a house and told me he was going to Wisconsin. I was leaving a recruits house and he was texting me while I was in the house and then I walked out and he said, hey, I'm going to Wisconsin. And, and I said, well, I'll see you tomorrow. So and I said, you're going to take Jack with you, I guess he's your guy. And he said, yes. I said, OK. So the next day I got back to the office. I talked to Drake. Uh, I talked to Phil. I talked to Jack, they there we So that's how fast it happens. Did you
0: have any inclinations happening a couple weeks before? No. Talking
3: no, not one word.
0: Huh.
1: So, sounds like Mac takes issue with the etiquette of Luke Fickle, not asking for permission to interview one of his assistants before just up and doing it, and Phil Longo not telling Mac that he was interviewing for the Wisconsin job until he had accepted the job already. Mac pointed out, and this was a 55-minute long press conference. It was a marathon. He's not blaming the coaches for leaving. He gets it. It's a quick cycle because signing day is tomorrow. The early signing period has sped everything up. That's why coaches are being fired during the season more often, because you want to hire somebody so that recruits stay on and you don't lose guys in the portal, and all that has sped this entire thing up where coaches are being hired on the fly, and we get that. But... What Mac is talking about is a code of conduct, an unspeakable, unwritten code that coaches have followed for a long time. That now that he is the oldest coach of college football at 71, doesn't really seem like the young guys are following that code so much. But if you feel like Mac's going to pull a Roy and say, you know what? The game's changed so much. I'm going to retire now. I'm out. Think again. This was Mac making it pretty clear who is going to be on the Carolina
3: sideline next year. They really used it the first year, which was interesting. i just gotten back. I said, God, don't have me dead. I've been here six months. Uh, when you win the Coastal and you're trying to win your 10th game and you got a number one draft choice, a quarterback coming back, people aren't talking about you quitting. I'm not that dumb.
1: I'm not that dumb. But he's going to lose Drake May after next year. He'd be 72 next season, looking at 73 the year after that. It's not outlandish to say that next year with Drake May could be the final ride for Mac Brown especially with all that's changing around college football.
0: Your attention please. It's your this is the drive with Josh Graham. We need a few good taters. What's taters? Brussels? What's taters? Potatoes. <laughs> Boilem
3: mashum
2: stick 'em in a stew. Boil emash em, stick em in a stew. Boylem mash em Boylem Boylen Boylem Mashum Boylem Boylem Boylemash'em,
1: stick em in a stew. Boylem mash em Boylem Boylum Ho Ta-to-Connor O'Neill's in studio Potatoes. Potatoes. with us. He covers Duke <laughs> and Wake Forest. Deacon Illustrated, Devil's Illustrated, Duke plays Wake Forest tonight. Hayes Furmar. Gonna join us to grade high quality songs such as that one. In 15 minutes, and her plays with Hayes. But let's get to some interesting angles to tonight's game, Connor. Starting with Wake Forest, where Steve Forbes, this is year three, one Coach of the Year last year, is still looking for his first win against a ranked team now. It isn't to say he hasn't had big wins. That North Carolina win by 23, a pretty big deal. Some of the others he had last year, like winning at Virginia, should be applauded. But the only ranked team they played a year ago was Duke. And they did not beat them in either game. Came close at Cameron Indoor. And his first year, he didn't win. So he's 0-9 against ranked opponents thus far at Wake. The last win for Wake against a ranked team was against Duke. That was when they stormed the floor at Joel Coliseum, Brandon Childress, right before the pandemic began. That was 2019-2020.
4: Oh, man, that was such a great night for Brandon. I can remember. like The three at the top of the key. He was uh, 0 for 12, I think, to start the game. It was either 0 for 10 or over for 12. He definitely got to double digits. Uh, maybe not definitely, but I want to say he got to double digit misses. Hit the. It wasn't a three. I think it was uh, long a till. long two. And then went for, I think, 14 of his 16 points in the overtimes. It was double OT, 111-105, I want to say.
1: Look at that memory.
4: That's pretty good. Is it one eleven, one o five? 105
1: I got it up right here. 113-101. Oh,
4: 113. Okay.
1: Yeah, you're not that smart.
4: I'm not. After tonight,
1: John Shire will have coached four ACC basketball games as Duke's coach. Two of them. The only two teams that he has coached against WD. From the ACC, out of four after tonight, will be against Duke, or excuse me, Wake Forest, and
4: Boston College. See, I've been giving him credit for four and a half because he coached the second half against Wake at Cameron last year when Coach K was getting an IV. So it'll be five. It's four and a half. It's four four and and a half. half. That's right. Coach K
1: left the first half, and then Shire coached the second half. Last year, Coach K never got the send-off at the joel coliseum
4: (laughs) yeah sure he's real broken up about uh the the motorcycle fumes not getting him one last time
1: and then during the covid season (laughs) that's great it was john shire on the bench coaching duke while coach k i think was out due to protocols at that time in the covid year this was john shire kind of cracking about this yesterday
0: Well, yes, I'm I'm starting to wonder if I'll ever coach against anybody else besides Wake and and BC. You know, that's nice. But, um, you know, I can tell you always with Wake, uh, they're they're a powerful offensive team. You know, the way that Steve Forbes, you know, the job that he does with their offense uh, is versatile. Uh, A lot of different guys can hurt you. And that was last year and that's this year as well.
1: Great stuff. Duke doesn't play for another 10 days after this. So still got a while until John Shire coaches against somebody not named Wake Forest or Boston College as uh, Duke's head coach. Boston College. Connor, whose side are you more intrigued by tonight? Whose end of the story, since you covered Duke and Wake Forest, what perspective are you more interested to follow?
4: Well, when I walked into the studio, I would have told you Wake Forest because I want to see kind of a backs against the wall uh, approach for them at the end of, to borrow a chaism, this is an energy cycle that Wake is coming to the end of. Now I'm about equally as intrigued with Duke missing Derek and Derek. Um, those are two big pieces. This, I'm kind of already formulating, like writing a shell of a story about Duke emerging from this long stretch, and now they're right back where they started the season without those two guys. Um, just remember, Derek didn't play until the second game, mm-hmm. and Derek not until the fourth. It's, uh, man, so much for, for, uh, thinking you were going to be covering a, not an easy game, but it's a little bit more of a complicated game on the eve of national signing. This is National Signing Day. This is not Early Signing Day. This is the National Signing This is National
1: Signing Day tomorrow, and we're going to bring – I haven't even told WD this yet, but we're going to bring back a segment that we do every year that you would not have known about because we do it once. I think we maybe do it in February, too, when the air quote actual signing day is. We play National Signing Day Spelling Bee. Where I oh. pull some names, and we'll see how you do, hmm. and we will stack you up against somebody in the audience, and if they beat you, they win a prize. Pretty simple. And if we'll, they we'll want to play into that.
2: anyway, we didn't, you know. That's right. It, 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 unless we get spurned again.
1: That's right. I, the listeners defied me. They did. They I say every time we have ticket giveaways, and we got a good one. WWE. Greensboro Coliseum next week. That's right. They just flood the phone lines. Nothing. Nothing nope. last hour. They spurned me. I called them out. They spurned me. It happens. But uh bowl games real quickly. Good matchup, bad matchup for Wake Forest against Mizzou on Friday.
4: I think it's a pretty good matchup. I think Mizzou is missing a few pieces defensively. I think Wake is going to be able to throw for a lot of yards. Uh I don't think you'll have to wait too long to see Sam pass Taj Boyd. Uh, He's neck and neck and tied with him right now. Um, I think the rest will help Wake's defense. I think the opt-outs won't. Uh, Ja'Cory Johns and Gavin Holmes are good players, and they'll miss them. But they'll, they'll be fine. Duke, did they get a good draw with UCF and
1: Annapolis a week from now?
4: I think so. I, there's there's a little bit of the portion of the fan base for Duke that thinks that was a terrible draw and that they're going to a cold weather bowl and everything is awful. Like the military bowl is great and
1: very well handled.
4: As somebody who was born in Annapolis, I can say this completely objectively. Annapolis is a great town. Yeah, like that's a that's a great place to play a football. Game. But
1: it, it always seems like the places that fans don't want to go. Those turns out those turn out to be the best bowls. El Paso. Yeah, because amazing. Uh, I sounded like Mike Leach there.
4: Amazing. <laughs> the Bulls know like the Bulls aren't uh ignorant to where they are. They know their pecking order, they know they're standing and they know that you know, if this is a bowl that hey, look, we play our game in Annapolis, but we happen to be 30 to 45 minutes away from the nation's capital, let's do a bunch of sights and excursions around the nation's capital. That's why, you know, I mean, the game is played in Annapolis, but I think the teams stay in D.C. Most of the stuff they do is in D.C. Uh, they'll get some good crab cakes, too. but
1: I'm all about that. Yeah. Connor, I'll see you in a couple of hours. Thanks for being here today.
4: Thanks for having me. Hayes
1: Permar will make his weekly appearance on the show to judge Christmas songs, I'd imagine. Skips her plays with Hayes next.
0: The Drive with Josh Graham,
5: only on wsjs
1: This is definitely a play from the Dookie album, which is 30-plus years old now. We're about to play skips or plays with Hayes. And one thing I want to talk about with Permar, tonight's a big game for the Carolina Hurricanes. The Canes, (laughs) back-to-back win. Back-to-back wins against Dallas and Pittsburgh over the weekend. Really tight games, really good teams. New Jersey tied with Carolina with 44 points. Big game in the capital city later on tonight. Permar, you made a really good analogy a couple times ago when you visited with us saying that following this Carolina basketball season, the Tar Heels, feels a lot like following the Canes in that, well, nobody can really enjoy some of the journey along the way in the regular season because all anybody's focused on is how you perform in the postseason. In Carolina's case, in the NCAA tournament, with the Hurricanes, how they do in the postseason, how is that going in both regards for the Canes and the Tar Heels now that we're two months into the Canes season and over a month into the Tar Heels
5: season? Canes are definitely proving me right because I was just about to say, I was like, "Why? wait, how is tonight a big game? Like a month ago, we were freaking out. Then they scored on every point on the road trip. Most of them wins. They kept the win streak going. Like, how is tonight a big game? They're going to go, they're going to fluctuate between first and fourth in the division, and there's no chance they're going to miss the playoffs. And then they could be the eight seed, the one seed. They'll probably be the four seed or something like that. And, Regardless of the seed, they're going to do something in the playoffs, and that is going to be the story of the season. So I feel 100% vindicated on that end. On the other end, somehow that Ohio State game felt like a huge game for North Carolina basketball. And I was somebody who was watching Obviously, the way it turned out uh, made it feel like more than just a run-of-the-mill game. But in. You know, it it makes sense. There's a a bigger sample size for NHL hockey than there is for Carolina basketball. We were presuming the whole time that UNC basketball would be in the NCAA tournament for the rest of the season, and just because they've tried to make the NCAA tournament process more transparent and tried to make it more a you-can-plot-how-it-works type thing, people can look and say, what? Quad one wins matter, and how many of them do you have left on your schedule? And those things matter. UNC didn't have any. This was a chance to get one. And so it did feel like a big regular season game, as much as I said they don't matter. Uh, So I don't know. We're going 50-50. Canes, they still don't matter. UNC, the regular season might matter a little more now.
1: Getting to the Carolina Panthers. Permar, we'll get to the Panthers a little bit later on here in the show, but something I said earlier was, It's almost a win-win opportunity for Carolina. If they make the playoffs and win the NFC South, you get a home playoff game. Steve Wilkes is almost certainly going to get the job in that circumstance, and it's a great building block moving forward. If you don't win the South, then you get a top-10 draft pick in all likelihood. Carolina right now would be picking number 8 if the season had ended, and if they make the playoffs, Permar, the, the best they could draft is number 19, and you still have that needed quarterback regardless of where you finish from here on out. So it almost seems like a win-win. How do you view things? Do you have a rooting interest uh, when it comes to Steve Wilks or who they should hire or what you want to see happen the rest of the way?
5: Nah, it's like P.J. Walker had been the, the guy. Like, if, if P.J. Walker had taken over from uh, Baker directly and from that point on things had gone, not undefeated, but, like, mostly on the up-and-up, and especially if PJ Walker had been the guy who bridged from that rule to uh, whoever it w- you know was next, in this case Steve Wilkes, that would have given me uh, you know a chance to maybe root for him to eke out enough of a record to make the playoffs, just because it'd be fun. But with the the you know rent the quarterback situation that we still have going on, and, and all props to Sam Darnold for you know being a professional guy and enduring uh, all he's been through and still getting out there and, and proving to be a Probably proving himself for a backup job in the in the NFL. Um, I don't have as much love for the for the Steve Wilkes uh, interim coach story as I would of for for a PJ Walker. So I'm um, I'm indifferent. Uh, you know, if, if we're if we're rooting for quirky, let's go all in and root for the what is it six and eleven that everybody could conceivably finish, and the Panthers still get the tie break. Um, yeah, like I'm all I'm all about rooting for uh, craziness over. Sentimentality of an interim coach uh, keeping the tag, and nothing against Steve Wilkes. This is not him personally. I have a general speaking. Anytime you promote the interim coach, it's a bad move. So that, that he's got that sort of history working against him. Um, so no, I I, I I truly do not have a rooting interest. I watch. In awe and wonder with the the Carolina Panthers, and root for individual players to uh, to do well, like Brian Burns, and I root for my dogs to stop uh, wrestling with each other in the background of the. Oh, are those star. the
1: dogs that I saw in your <laughs> Christmas card that I received today? You, you were in Christmas garb, and the car, and the dogs were all dressed up too.
5: Those are the same dogs, indeed. Uh, they they are not acting like uh, good reindeer. Hold right one now, second. Hold one second. Colors. Are you at
1: the You say every time you do these interviews, you're at the dog park. Are you at the dog park again?
5: Yeah, except for this time, I'm I'm at the odd point where I'm at the transition between the car and the actual dog park, which is like the worst place to be. Like, if I'm at the dog park, they're running around freely. They're enjoying themselves. I'm merely monitoring. But at this point, I am shepherding them to the dog park, which is just anxiety ridden and uh, you know they're jumping at everyone and I'm, and I'm trying and they want to be in the park and not with me and uh so yeah, pulling back the curtain i mistimed this and got here a little bit later than i that i should have
1: skips or plays with hayes time though to try and relieve <laughs> some of that anxiety
0: hayes permar is somewhat of a renaissance man an expert in the finer things but he hangs his hat on music. Loves his God, and he's the friend of Satan. He was like '06, oh, getting busy with the sticks, been watching Big Mike and little Tricky I trip. trip. I just need a on and someone he can dunk on. Today, Hayes will decide if this music is smash or trash, glows or blows. It's time for skips or plays with Hayes.
1: Okay, WD, you love Christmas songs. I'd imagine, since we've kind of held off on that, For the last few weeks, this has to be where you're headed, right?
2: Of course. Now, it's not going to be like generic Christmas songs, though. Because I feel like we did that one time, you know, back when it was, I believe, the first day of November. Because that's when I start listening to Christmas music. So we're going to go non-traditional today. Okay.
1: Let's see how this goes. Where? What is the first song you have for me here?
2: I think this is staying on brand with the show. This is Let It Snow by Sarah McLachlan.
1: I feel like Permar and I...
5: Is she gonna start singing or is this an instrumental? What's going on
1: here? <laughs> I bet me and Perma are on the same page on this one. And no she's changing it
5: up. This is an easy skip. This He's is a hit. terrible version. Like I you're trying so hard. There's there's some good '90s songs, and even in Sarah McLachlan, or whom who I, who's on the uh, uh, the one with bare naked ladies? Is that? Uh, oh. I, 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 am, am I getting another '90s female artist mixed up with Sarah McLachlan? You are. Well, right now, all I can think of, adopt an animal, and no, that's a that's a terrible version of a, of a pretty good Christmas song. So That's an easy skip. Terrible pick.
1: I think this is the part where you say, hated it.
0: Hated
5: yeah, it. You, you already hit that one. I heard Oh,
1: it. I, I didn't hear it earlier. Sorry. Hated it. Okay, what's next? See if you can get your face back, WD.
2: Christmas Lights by Coldplay. Now, if this was Skips or Plays with with Josh...
1: Trying to think of Christmas songs
5: that have come out I, in I'm the not last second. I'm I, Look, I'm I, honest. I, I I try to listen open-minded. I'm not just doing this because this is Coldplay. This, this sounds like a terrible song, and I'm, sk- and I'm skipping it. Let's get it out of here. Hey.
1: Permar doesn't have The Christmas spirit
5: Uh, What's the last song We have I I mean I could list Off the top of my head Like 25 Christmas songs That would be better Than the ones That you're playing For me right now
2: What's next Alright You're either gonna Love this one Or hate it I personally Don't like this song Why'd you pick it Because I haven't Heard it in forever It's been a long time Christmas shoes (laughs) Oh my
5: god Oh, Oh my god Oh exactly are you serious? No, this is fantastic. Is this, Let it
1: play. Is Let, this it a play. Comedy bit? Let it play. <laughs> is it, Let is it is this play. Let
0: it play. joke? Let it
1: play. <laughs> <laughs> I got to hear this.
2: <laughs> it was <almost> Christmas time.
5: <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean.
1: Home and second case. Okay. Home in okay. case.
5: <laughs> it's
2: getting emotional.
5: No, I'm getting offended.
3: Not really in the Christmas mood. This is Hayes Burmore,
1: not in the Christmas
3: mood. Right in front of me, was
1: a boy oh, what's the little boy up to? <laughs>
0: That's nice. And in his hands he held
5: thinking about his dead mom. That's what the boy's doing. <laughs> not dead yet, Hayes.
1: The mom might meet Jesus tonight. He wants her to look good. <laughs> oh,
5: geez, geez. She's going to be dead. Don't want spoiler spoil
1: it. <laughs> you don't know that. Oh, here we go.
5: Everybody. That's even a bad key change. I like key changes, and that's way too early in the song for a key change. This is a terrible song. It's, I feel like I'm being, I'm being put on. I feel like I'm being pranked. Like you guys got together and we're like, what are three terrible Christmas songs we could play to ruin haze's week? Hey, who so loves Christmas music, let's give him three terrible ones and see how bad we can make it. And then, like, now you're actually going to roll out the three good ones. I don't believe these are the actual three choices. That's how bad they were. Get it out of here. Get right. it. Alonzo Morning GIF out. <laughs> maybe so don't, get it out of here. Maybe
1: don't play this with kids around, but one of my favorite stand-up bits of all time is Patton Oswalt? You can find this on YouTube, making fun of the song "Christmas Shoes."
2: Yeah, we had a good laugh about it one day before the show.
1: That's it's it's outstanding. Yeah, uh,
2: one of the best things out there.
1: Permar, sorry that we bugged you with some of these songs. <laughs> yeah, you know.
5: look, grab anything from a uh, Soul Christmas, one of a great album. Uh, Carpenters Christmas, James Brown Christmas, uh, Christmas Calling. It's like a 2001 with with Jack Black, uh, Khaki King. This is the one, I, the old Holy Night I reference to. You. There's some great Christmas music out there, some legit Christmas music, including Wham, where George Michael played every single instrument, sang every single note of that song. Even though it was put out under the Wham label, that's an all time great Christmas song. There's good ones out there. Uh, I usually don't try to make it personal, but uh, I feel like Will let me down today. <laughs>
1: We'll talk to you (laughs) next week, Permar. Thanks for doing this. Thanks for nothing.